How can we as educators learn from the experience our students had this past summer at camp? Today on the show, I'm joined by Ross McIntyre, Director of Community Initiatives at Camp Kutaching. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. You know how at the start of the school year, we as teachers will sit down with the teachers who taught our students last year and share notes, strategies, and insights to start the year ahead on a productive note? Those meetings are often really helpful, right? So I thought for the first episode back after the summer break, hi again, by the way, we should hear from summer camp to hear how our students did over the summer. Now, I get that not all our students go to summer camp. And I get that summer camp is an immensely privileged experience, especially this summer. It doesn't really speak for all our learners, I get that. More on that in this episode. But for those young people that did go to day or overnight camps, I wanted to hear how they did. Was summer camp the restorative experience that many of us hoped for? Were students able to undo some of the challenges and even trauma of this past year? How might schools bring a little camp into their pandemic pedagogy? So enter Ross McIntyre, who will be speaking for all camps everywhere. I'm joking. But his insights about what worked about his camp this summer and how the campers at his camp fared, I think tells us some important things about young people and provides some hope for the road ahead. Ross and I went to high school together and was a significant part of my own journey through school. So it's such an honor to get to talk about many things that matter with him. Young people, camp, wellness, learning, joy, and of course, hope. Please welcome to the show, Ross McIntyre. Amazing. Ross McIntyre, thank you for coming on the show. I'm really excited to get to talk to you for a little bit. Why don't you start by introducing yourself? Tell everyone who you are, where you live, and what you do. Sure. Uh, thanks so much for having me, first of all. Uh, really glad to be able to chat today. Uh, my name is Ross McIntyre. I am currently the Director of Community Initiatives with Camp Kuchiching. Uh, we're a summer camp, we're an outdoor ed center, uh, and we uh, do a bunch of other local year-round programming as well in the Aurelia area. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that's essentially my, my, main, my main gig. And uh, I also do uh, teach uh, part-time at Georgian College as well. You're one of the people that I know that actually helps to run a summer camp. And one of the sh like, conversations that I really wanted to have with somebody was, how were the kids doing at camp? So <laughs> most of the people who are listening today are teachers. And we're about to launch into our third COVID classroom. And I don't know about other teachers who are listening, but I personally just felt this immense amount of hope for kids going away to summer camp. They didn't have it last summer. So many of my students were just devastated. And this whole year has been so hard. Like I teach grade eights and many of my students were just, you know, they put so much into the summer camp experience. It's such an important growth opportunity for them. And I was talking to my students all year once they realized camp could happen and talking about like what it's going to be like for them. And I, so many young people also have been suffering with mental health things this whole year. How could mm -hmm. they not? And camp is one of those places where kids go, they hit reset. They, you know, I was a camp counselor during university years, and it was like this magical time for young people. So this is a long preamble, but just to say, I wanted to talk to somebody about camp, and I'm so glad that it's you because I want to hear how young people 
are doing. Did you have camp last summer? Did you have like limited programming before? So, yeah, that's a yeah. So that is a great question. We uh, we had very limited programming last year, and that was um, you know every camp of course was in its own scenario. There's a variety of nonprofit camps. We are a nonprofit charity, and there's a variety of private camps and uh, different hybrids as well. And so. Uh, we had a uh, program that we ran at a local community garden for teenagers that uh, we were able to safely do with small numbers and, and strictly outdoors. Uh, and we did a bit of uh, programming in the fall for uh, for different homeschool groups uh, that were in the area. But beyond that, we did not have any mm-hmm. overnight, no day, uh, no day camps or anything like that. And and uh, and it wasn't kind of until the very last minute almost into well into june uh that we got the okay that we're going to be able to run in some way but of course we we knew by that point that it was going to look very different reduced numbers um and in terms of what our programs uh that we could offer would be that's going that was that was going to look incredibly different as well so um yeah we settled on um july being a time for uh for day camp as well as different uh, alumni or family visits to camp uh, and then August uh, was our dedicated time for overnight campers. And I think they've settled on that. Again, uh, Jen Dundas, who's our executive director, as well as Lexi Haddock, who's our uh, summer camp director. They settled on this very simple but really like empowering and encouraging uh, uh, concept of just, you know, let's, let's spread joy. Let's create opportunities mm-hmm. for joy. And that's kind of, I think, how, we're, how we've wrapped up the summer here this year. What was different about previous summers other than obviously not having overnight camp in July, but in terms of the actual daily running, if you were just to kind of helicopter into camp as an outsider, mm-hmm. would it seem any different than any other year? Right. Uh, so the first thing you would notice in that scenario is it, it, it would seem empty. So we were running at uh, 70. Uh, our maximum capacity was uh, for overnight camp was 70. Uh, and normally we'd be up and around 200 on site. Mm. Uh, and so that was uh, that was one thing. And of course that, again, raises different accessibility uh, issues in terms of, you know, who gets this amazing experience that, that they've been waiting for for so long, right? Um, and then another thing that- Wait, let's noticed... pause there. I'm oh, yeah, so curious. So I wanna go yeah. back to that. How did you figure that out? So, you know, I know that this is really important to you and as a camp, how did you answer that question? Yeah, absolutely. It is such an important question. And so one um, one piece that we decided on uh, fairly early was the um, the fact that we wanted all of our campers to have at least one of the vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that meant 12 and, and above uh, mm-hmm. by default. So that did that was the primary way, I think, in which it became a clear uh, yes or no. And this was, you know, again, informed by public health, informed by uh, the different guidelines and um, the Ontario Camping Association uh, had done a, a tremendous amount of work too, leading up to this, uh, leading up to the summer, and so we made that decision based on on that. Uh, the other piece that directly links to accessibility of, of overnight camp and any experience that we that we do at Camp Kuchiching is around what we call like a campership fund, or which is essentially our sub- subsidy fund. Um, as a nonprofit charity, uh, unfortunately, due to losing a, a full uh, operating year, um, our campership fund had kind of completely mm-hmm. dissipated, right? So, um, and I, you know, it feels uncomfortable pairing a financial reality with a kind of lived reality when we're talking about kids accessing uh, programs such as this. 
However, um, that was something that was unavoidable for us. And so that being said, we can we can turn our attention to uh, rebuilding because we were able to do something this summer. We can turn our, our attention to rebuilding uh, the campership funds for future years, future programs too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's, you know, an unfortunate reality, but even just getting camp off the ground this year must have been a huge undertaking that, like, you can't even conceive of. So I appreciate that, like, you can't attend to all needs in a crisis, in an emergency. Absolutely. And yeah, that's a, that is a, that's a good way to put it, I think. And, and yeah, the, in terms of other differences, we uh, had regular, obviously, screening and, and, and testing happening uh, during the overnight portion. Um, tests were regularly being shuttled down uh, to Toronto and so um, obviously different masking requirements, distancing requirements. Uh, so all of these things were were in fact different and to that person in your example that's kind of helicoptering in, uh, which would be an incredible like special program by the way if I, <laughs> I just dropped into camp. Uh, <laughs> um, it would be costing a lot more than regular. Yeah, 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 speaking of prohibitive. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, and so if for that person dropping in, they would see, you know, all these very surface level differences. But um, the most uh, inspiring and motivating piece was that uh, it did not, it took, you know, literally minutes or maybe hours for some for some campers to uh, to reconnect with the, the space and reconnect mm-hmm. with the people that make up that space. Um, and I think it boils down to you know, camp in itself, I always say it's like it's a micro community for whatever amount of time that it's that it's happening, whether that's three days, a week, two weeks. And uh, that entire community was was lost last year. Right. And so mm-hmm. to see that back in some way, to see that back in some form um, is is incredible, uh, obviously, for uh, the people, people running it. But most most importantly, for uh, the kids and, and young people that are attending. Um, so I think that's. I think that uh, over overrides some of those more surface level differences, process differences, and uh, yeah, it was really incredible to see in in, uh, in that sense. To come to overnight camp this year too, they were uh, also um, signed off on a that they had quarantined for two weeks prior to arrival. Mm-hmm. So that meant that once they entered their cabin group, um, that they uh, they they that smaller cabin group also became a bubble. So yeah, no masks in terms of sleeping in cabins and obviously eating, uh, that would present some, some challenges, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and so, so again, with all these pieces in place, it allowed for some, some freedom, some flexibility, um, in terms of how, how the actual day-to-day life, uh, worked at, at camp and, and they did most of the stuff with their, with their cabin groups, with their cohorts. So that's also slightly different yeah. than how we'd normally run. Yeah. It's cool how obviously there was like a certain amount of commitment before camp in order for kids to be able to do it properly, to get the full camp experience and that they did it like that the young people were like, yes, I will quarantine. I will stay away from other people for a few weeks in order to get this camp experience. I think that says a lot about how important camp is for young people. Yeah, I think I think you're 100 percent right. And there was uh, uh, I don't I don't recall, um, you know, Angie, who's our operations person she might have maybe had a conversation or two with parents about that piece but i don't recall hearing any any specifics around people pushing back on that or or the campers or parents or anyone it just seemed like uh something that the the buy-in was immediate and like yep if that's what i need to do uh to go and and have this uh experience that's so meaningful to me then that i'm in and so um 
I think that, yeah, you're right. That alone says a lot about how, uh, how the space is valued and how people, um, just really are on board to, to regain some of those, uh, mm -hmm. traditions or experiences that, that are, uh, pivotal in, in their lives. It's interesting because as a teacher, whenever we got to actually be in person with other people, like when that actually was allowed, we so valued, so appreciated what we could do in person that we can't do online. And I remember so many of my students saying, oh, I am never going to complain about school ever again. I'm mm -hmm. never going to complain about being at school like I did two years ago. Like I just can't right. do that anymore because the value of being here, being able to see my friends or just get to like ask my teacher a question whenever I want. They, they just got on a different level how important that part of learning is. And I imagine that's true for camp. Like anyone who's getting the privilege of going to camp, like it's drastically reduced anyway, but then having to go through those hoops, I imagine that you know, it just makes it so much more special. It's like an initiation into something. I love that. Yeah, I think, yeah, in a way, like that, the point around that renewed or maybe even brand new appreciation for mm -hmm. a space, for uh, a, a connection, it, that is something that I think spreads across all all age groups, all social classes, everything, I believe, because it's, a, you know, this collective experience that we've that we've all been through globally right for uh the past year and a half is i i i really like to think that it would be un almost impossible to not have a, a kind of a new new perspective or reframe things that you previously took for granted right like you know it's it's one of those things where um and and, and you know did kids show up to camp with that renewed or new appreciation 100 percent, right like despite the obstacles despite the quarantining ahead of time despite testing despite whatever it may have been the gratitude was prevalent right that mm -hmm. that early mission that i that i mentioned to uh create a space of joy spread joy was taken up fully by by everyone that uh, that came this summer and so i suspect just based kind of on your your parallel there too i suspect um you know um given a return to uh, to in-person in, in, in the fall, I suspect there might be that similar um, kind of renewed appreciation for for the space. And I just I just love how it shines a light. I, I, I always say, like, you know, camping is not just about marshmallows and canoeing and uh, archery and that sort of stuff, right? There's this whole other piece that's happening, and that's, that is social connections and environmental appreciation and developing self-confidence and emotional intelligence. And I feel like all of those... Um, pieces that are, are kind of just underneath the surface sometimes. Uh, I think COVID has has pushed them further to the surface, if not, you know, if not right out into the open. And so that's kind of my broad experience, I think, of, of what could see throughout uh, our different programs this summer. And, and, I, and I hope and, and suspect that it will hopefully continue into the classroom as well. Well, it's a perfect segue to what I wanted to ask you about next, because we all have needed joy this past year. I feel like there has been a real lack of joy in what young people have been going through this past year, especially. And I've been hearing about some other summer camps that hired, you know, more psychologists or they mm -hmm. had, um, you know, intentionally um, included mental health training for their counselors. Was there a consciousness in you and your team in designing COVID camp, for lack of a better word, in thinking about what young people have been going through 
and how to support them with their mental health this year in ways that you didn't before. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, I think um, there's a couple lenses to look at this, uh, you know, because immediately we'll think of, of course, campers and, and their mental health. But um, an important thing to note is that most of our staff team are still within that, like, youth or, or, or uh, you know, young people category as well, right? So this year, um, for the first time, instead of uh, a leadership program for, for campers that were 16, we actually um, reworked our program so that they could be interns. So they were part mm-hmm. of our staff team. Um, and so I think it's important to look at it from both those camper lenses as well as the staff lens. And so, uh, yeah, we do have a wellness team um, at Camp Kuching every summer. Uh, and that uh, usually includes a, a variety of different uh, medical professionals and they are uh, there as volunteers. And uh, we try to intentionally make that um, fairly diverse in terms of what, what, uh, what people would be able to access in terms of physical or any mental health care that they might need. Um, and then uh, absolutely, it was f- uh, a forefront of our staff training uh, this summer. Um, we did have a spring staff that came up a bit earlier. They received training. Of course, our summer staff, they received training on it too. Um, and that's uh, something that I think I mentioned, Lexi Haddock, who's our summer camp uh, director. She um, prioritizes that in an uncompromising way. And I think this year that's been more important uh, than ever before, right? Because, um, you know, in a classic year, you can guarantee that you're going to have some homesick campers. You're going to have uh, potentially some campers that, that have conflicts with one another, that sort of thing. Um, coming into this year, we could we could also guarantee that we were, we were going to have some um, campers and, and potentially staff that were feeling the weight of the past year and a half. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I know I spoke already a little bit about the, you know, I think something about the camp environment uh, and being outdoors and that active play, that, that, that social time. I think all of these things are great uh, kind of passive um, uh, buffers against uh, against any mental health um, challenges that, that uh, folks may experience. Um, but uh, we definitely built that intentionality into. And so that included, um, you know, uh, access to different external supports uh, from camp as well, if, if that was what was needed. And uh, sometimes that could look like uh, different people needing a, a private space to be able to uh, connect uh, virtually with uh, with someone that they're reaching out to for support. Uh, whether that be a professional or family member or whatever it may be and so we yeah we we knew going in that we didn't know exactly how that would look but we knew that it was going to be a priority regardless um you know that uh that we needed to make uh space for any of those uh considerations that are of course different for every single individual too right mm-hmm. yeah i read an article in the new york times about how it was a camp in new york state and they were drastically short-staffed when you said that you, you know, changed your leadership program to be an interim program. I was, you know, immediately thinking of that. Was it mm-hmm. hard for you to get counselors this year for camp in this setting? Like, was it a difficult proposition to get young people to work in this context? It, it absolutely was. And, and I think that's something, um, you know, I have a, a, a number of good friends that run different camps in the, the province as well. And, and it was across the board. It was mm-hmm. in terms of finding, uh, people to uh, to be part of the staff team and um, and so I think the reason for that part in part was because some of the the decision making and, and guidelines and whatnot uh, in Ontario anyway for this summer um, they did come um, quite late and so you know at a certain point 
Uh, I think a lot of staff had to make the decision, do I, do I wait this out? Do I hang on to this uh, job, which is most likely going to be lower paying than other jobs they could get, but much more enjoyable? Do I hang on to that or, or is it time I need to, uh, to find something else to, uh, to have a bit of income coming in? And so I think um, a, lot of, a lot of staff made that decision. Um, we're fortunate uh, that pivot that I mentioned in terms of um, having leadership uh, uh, staff become interns. Uh, we have a two-year um, leadership uh, program at, at, at Camp Kuchiching, and so uh, that means our typically in a normal year our youngest staff would be be 18 by the time that they're they're starting, which uh, which is a couple years older than than some camps start. So that gave us a bit of flexibility to uh, to build that in, and and of course that 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 group of staff were exceptional, and they were they were on board and same motivations of wanting to be there, and and I think excited to take on that new. Uh, that new role as well. It's a creative way to address a really widespread challenge. Like mm-hmm. the the article, I'll put the link in the show notes, was basically mm-hmm. saying that you know, there was a number of camps that just had to shut down, that yep. they opened with the best of intentions. And it was actually a really big challenge for these camps to attract and then retain staff just from the couple of months that they were trying to stay open. And I, like, as a, you know, parent and as a teacher, like my heart just broke for those campers, like Mm -hmm. just really devastating to imagine putting all this hope into summer camp and then COVID takes it away from them again. Like just such a heartbreaking thing. And I'm so happy that you were able to run a full, well, not full, but a summer camp experience. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it it was one of those things where, and again, this is like uh, credit to, uh, to Jen for this, but staggering our summer in such a way where July was almost like, okay, we knew day camps. And if we had like family visits during the uh, evenings and weekends, we knew that was quite well within any of the the ranges of how we could operate. Um, And then dedicating August to the overnight, it almost um, allowed us to, uh, to just kind of keep an ear to the ground in terms of what else was happening elsewhere. And, uh, and so, and yeah, and we ended up, I think, offering uh, a variety of pieces, you know, day camps are typically uh, uh, many of our local families, although we do have local for overnight too, and uh, overnight can uh, come from uh, are all over the province. And so um, we, I think we were able to kind of safely walk that line between um, the best of a few different wor- worlds there too. So very fortunate. And uh, um, yeah, despite the, the challenges, the additional pieces of, uh, in terms of process and all that sort of stuff, um, well worth it, I think, based on those, those individual um, camper experiences. And, and we hope that, I think, that that positivity, that feeling will carry into the, into the school year, whatever that may look like as well. Yeah, it's really wise to do less and do it better, like to scale it down and to really offer something of high quality, but not try to do the same thing that you've done every year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious about the young people. So I know that you're not, you know, in a dorm with young people or a camp counselor, but in your role and in your perspective, are the kids okay? Like, are they doing all right? Um, and maybe even another way to think about that question, if you could talk to all of your campers' teachers when they go back in a few weeks, what do you want to say to them? Yeah, those are, those are both great questions. I think in terms of the first one, are, are, are the kids all right? Um, based on my uh, experience or interacting with, with them this summer, 
I'd say unequivocally, yes. On the overall, they are all right, and they only are made better by those opportunities to connect, reconnect, um, engage with one another in that incredibly important uh, relational way, right? Um, and I, I, I think and I, and I hope that we can continue um, being able to, to offer that with a in, a in a relatively uninterrupted way, I suppose, over the next uh, uh, few months and, and years. And so, so I think they are uh, all right. If anything, they're coming into those social spaces, those learning spaces, those uh, just leisure spaces as well. They're coming into them with a new appreciation, a new gratitude. Um, and so I'd love to think that will continue into a classroom setting. And then in terms of that uh, second piece, if I could tell teachers something going into the going into the, the fall and, and, and kind of pass along some notes of, of, of how the summers went, um, I would just recommend that whatever your classroom space may look like, um, within that space, I think creating opportunity for the unknown or the uncertainty or the the experience like the collective lived experience of the past year and a half creating space for that to come out um and 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 have a little life of its own if that's from an individual student or a group of students whatever that may be uh, having a little space to to honor that and listen and almost like it becomes like a a, a co-learning thing in a way there i think too like um to have that space is probably like essential, I, I think, because um, I think over this time, many, many kids have felt, you know, rejected or let down or, or like you mentioned, having perhaps experienced different mental health issues or uh, in that sense, by creating a space for genuine, meaningful um, engagement, whatever that may look like, um, is, is, I think, essential. I say that knowing that a lot of teachers, a lot of great teachers, uh, I think probably already incorporate that into their practice. Um, however, I think it's more important now than ever, because I, I think that's just something you noticed at, at camp, there'd be conversations that were maybe, um, a little more personal or a little deeper. There'd be, uh, moments or interactions that were, uh, perhaps a bit more, um, joyful or perhaps a bit more, you know, uh, substantial in a way. And so I think the classroom is, is already a space for, for many of those things, but I feel like it's going to be, um, an extra priority, I think, when we're looking ahead uh, to this this fall and the return to school. Just hearing you reflect on that, I was just trying to picture like those moments around a picnic table or sitting under a tree or sitting at a campfire, having those conversations or connections. Can you tell me about just a single moment from this past summer that you're going to hold with you this coming year? Right. Well, uh, yeah, a couple of them stand out. One, the one that like is, is really coming to mind immediately is I was able to be there on the drop-off day, the, the one single drop-off day we had for, for the overnight camp. And, um, and the, the spot of camp I was at was kind of in, in a spot where I could literally see every um, camper coming in with their luggage, joining into the, like the main camp area, uh, seeing, you know, kind of from a distance people that they other people they knew were coming or, or people perhaps they didn't know were coming. And, um, so just this, this, for me, it felt like just this almost like emotional gauntlet of like, uh, of 
reconnection and this uh, amazing like um, reunite, re, like reuniting, right? That 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 they've been waiting for seemingly forever, and so um, seeing camper after camper walking up the road. Um, that, that was also different this year because parents had to drop off in one location and the campers and, and staff would come in on their own. And so, yeah, seeing people reunited, uh, both with, with the other people, but also the place itself, it was just incredible to see, um, to see that. And, and again, like try to transpose that into the first day of school or whatever that may look like. It's, I, I suspect like that would, if I, if I were uh, teaching a classroom this, uh, this fall at, uh, I think that's something I would be really looking out for and mindful of. What would that moment be like, and how could I kind of capture that moment? Because, um, yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's been. It was pretty incredible to to observe that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yep. <laughs> Thinking about this next coming year, there's so many question marks and we don't know what is ahead with Delta, with vaccinations, mm -hmm. with upcoming possible lockdowns. Uh, in your perspective, what do you think young people need to navigate the next months ahead this pandemic? Yeah, that is a, that is a great question. And I, I definitely do not have the correct or only answer for it, I think. But, uh, um, but in terms, again, based on the experience over the summer. A few things, I guess, that I noticed that were were needed, or perhaps even wanted, or, or certainly just a, even just appreciated in terms of interacting with uh, with kids. I think I mentioned before, like that space, um, especially I think if it is an adult or someone in in a you know quote unquote a position of authority with them, those people to be able to let down their guard for a minute and. Mm again, have that co, co-learning co or shared experience piece um, in terms of what the past year and a half has been like for them, right? And so that could come out in form of a, a story or something that was bothering them or something that is still bothering them or something that might bother them in the future that they might be worried about. So I think, yeah, more, na more so now than ever before, um, I think kids need authentic, relationships, authentic communication, conversation, interaction, where they are seen on an equal footing, an equal level to whomever they're, they're interacting with. Um, and so, again, I know this is something that many teachers and many great teachers do already, um, but creating a bit of that space uh, might be more important now than, than ever before because uh, it's empowering and it is authentic and it becomes a genuine two-way street, right? Where where it doesn't matter if it's a six-year-old or a ten-year-old or a fifteen-year-old or whomever, um, but you're creating a a very genuine, authentic interaction. Um, and that can be one minute long. Maybe it takes ten minutes out of a out of a class, or maybe it's an ongoing discussion. But that's what comes to mind. But certainly, an imperfect answer answer when it comes to. Uh, you know what what they might need going forward no, I, I so agree with it i think that it allows this to be an experience that we all share and when else do we get to share a crisis together you know we all kind of go through our own private crises right but this is one of those rare moments in history where we can really relate to that like we can yeah. all kind of get it and i think there's a lot of wisdom in what you're saying 
Oh yeah, yeah, and that's, well, thank you, and that's good to good to hear that it resonates. And it's yeah, we've really we've collectively all had this uh, for those that are open and, and willing to uh, to take it as a learning. We've had this crash course in empathy, right, mm-hmm. over the past year and a half, and and I know that again already shows up in in classrooms and certainly at camps in different ways. Um, but I think there is a there is now this. Uh, new intentionality attached to uh, to how we can uh, truly and genuinely empathize with others, right? So, yeah, and so I think it, to condense <laughs> everything that I've just uh, talked about for the last few minutes, empathy would be the, mm-hmm. the answer. <laughs> Hashtag empathy. Done. Yes, exactly. And that is my <laughs> TED Talk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so let's uh, wrap up with the ticket out the door, which is basically just silly questions that you cannot prepare for. Um, okay, great. <laughs> are you ready to go? Yes, I'm nervous, and but ready to go. <laughs> okay, we'll start easy. What is your favorite book? Oh, boy. That's that is actually <laughs> yeah. not easy. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> Uh, my favorite book, my favorite book that in terms of like, this one is in terms of impact on my life, but um, it's called Undoing Privilege by Bob Peace. Um, and that's my, my most favorite book that I've read in, in, in recent years because uh, it did and continues to have a, an immediate um, impact on how I, how I view the world and my, myself in relation to it. Yeah. What's the best gift that you've ever received? Oh boy, best gift I've ever received is, uh, yeah, so when I was in my early to mid 20s, uh, my brother uh, had orchestrated with, with a bunch of friends who, and these friends, um, we often play music together. And so my brother orchestrated a, in secret, all of these different friends from different parts of my life all re- played and recorded covers of different songs that I had, had written or done. Oh my um, gosh put it on a CD, he put his like signature artwork on the CD and it's just like, it was too much. I couldn't oh. even, uh, yeah, it was, it was such a, such a treasure that I, uh, that I still listen to on a regular basis too. I think that's the best answer anyone's ever given to that question. I'll have to go back and re-listen, but I think that one takes the cake out of all of the possible gifts that people have gotten. That's I will it. let, I will let my brother know that hey, this <laughs> well is done, possibly the best Mike gift. That's, yeah, exactly. This is possibly <laughs> the best gift that anyone has ever been given. So yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. COVID is over. Where's the first place that you travel? Um, that is also a great question. I would, uh, yeah, so I'm in Aurelia. Uh, for those who, who know, it's a, you know, a couple hours north of, of Toronto. Um, but I've also never been further north than like, I want to say like North Bay. So that's only like about an hour or so north from us. So I really want to go um, to Northern Ontario, to Thunder Bay and, and beyond that. I, I've heard it's like beautiful, incredibly unique. Uh, and so that that could very well be a, whether COVID, COVID is over or not, that's somewhere that I'm eager to road trip to and do some camping. That's very possible. I mean, you could go there while COVID is still on. I'm pretty right, sure that yeah. would be fine. Like, All right. Just, okay. Yeah, I got to go. I'm gonna just go do leave it. right now. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Uh, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? First thing I do when I wake up in the morning, um, I make coffee immediately. You just like, yeah. Uh, do you have like an automatic machine that just starts it for you? Like that no, is a possibility. I'm not like, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a coffee snob, but I, I would say like I'm a coffee um, aficionado. I like to use a French press and like grind beans and that sort of stuff. And it really doesn't take too much time. And it's, uh, you know, it's worth the effort, worth the effort every day. Yeah. <laughs> What's the last thing you do before you go to bed? 
uh, I read um, whatever book I might be uh, into at that time and usually like will fall asleep uh, with that book on my face at some point. And so, yeah, that's typically <laughs> what I do. Standard routine. Yep. Uh, what's the most recent TV show you binged and loved? <laughs> uh, binged and loved is definitely this. So this is not a uh, student or or kid appropriate show, but it is Tim Rob Tim Robinson's. I think you should leave. Um, it's on Netflix. It is the like just weirdest, quirkiest humor, um, and some of it is very like um, like some of his humor is very like uh, irate and just off the wall. And so it, it's right up my alley. I like it. Everyone might not like it, but I think it's a great comedy series for these times right now because Amazing. it's almost like yeah letting <laughs> letting out some uh whatever frustrations yeah uh pie or cake P uh pie but brackets unless it's ice cream cake in which case ice cream cake pie mm -hmm. normal mm -hmm. cake yeah mm -hmm. feature <laughs> mountains mountains yeah spring or fall fall what would be your last meal on earth uh, taco buffet. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and final question is what do you think is the future of learning? The future of learning, I think is, I do, I love this. I love this question. And, and I have spent so much time thinking about it in a way because I often, you know, will, you know, be on my phone or on a computer or whatever. And just, it'll hit me once in a while that, you know, that realization that wait, all of, all of our collective knowledge in terms of, you know, the traditional content is it, it lives on our computers, it's in our pockets, right? And so what the, what then do we value, right? What do we value if, if I can access all the written knowledge, you know, through that technology, what becomes our prior priority? And so I like to think that that is um, based around uh, things like empathy, um, relational learning, values-based learning, um, experiences, um, outdoor learning, uh, and, and again, like, yeah, prioritizing um, the different lived experiences, whether that's coming from students in a class or um, a room full of teachers or, or uh, a group of camp staff, whomever it may be, I think, um, I think that the very nature of what we prioritize as or what we what we kind of identify as as content classroom content uh is is fairly rapidly changing so um and i think that's that's a positive thing too mm, those are really good words to end on it makes me so happy just to think about all the young people that got to go to camp and more than that got to go to camp where you were helping to create camp Thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us today. It was really, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the show. Was it just me or do you now really want to be at a summer camp? A big thank you to Ross for sharing pieces of his summer with us. If I had a friendship bracelet, I would definitely give one to Ross. Do they still make those at summer camp these days? Can a young person or a person who lives with young people please confirm that for me? Listening to the show, I'm struck by three things that Ross touched on about his experience with COVID camp. The first is that we can't attend to all needs in a crisis. For Ross's camp, this meant that less kids got to come to camp and pausing their focus on camperships. Not ideal, but neither is a pandemic. 
I think it's a good reminder that we can only do so much when trying to do camp or school or family or anything in a pandemic. Cut yourself some slack, do less, try to do it as good as possible, but cut yourself some slack. The second is that young people are capable of doing hard things, especially when they understand the benefit and payoff will be worth it. And finally, create opportunities for joy. Go outside with your students, find moments to laugh, bring magic and whimsy to your classroom, pack candy in your adult lunch to help you get through the day, play music that you and your students all love. It seems obvious, but We've all been there in those tough moments of school that just feel like a grind. If creating joy is a practice for those of us that make school happen, it will get easier and more natural for all of us. Let's create joy. If you've been listening to the show for a little while, you might have noticed that I took a little pause during the summer months. I am very happy to be feeling more refreshed than at the end of this past school year. And I'm now starting some new adventures, specifically my PhD at the University of Toronto in the curriculum and pedagogy program. More on that to come in a future episode, but part of stepping into that new big thing is that I'll be changing up a few things about the podcast. To help with what I want to change and what I want to keep, I'm getting input from you. If you've been listening to the show a few times, a little while, or a loyal listener, I want to hear from you by filling out a very quick and very useful listener survey. It will take about seven minutes and you can enter to win an Indigo or Starbucks gift card. The link to the survey is in the show notes, but you can also find it on the Teaching Tomorrow Instagram bio, the blog, and our Facebook page. I haven't done one of these since we launched in 2018, so I am very happy and grateful to you for sharing your thoughts on the show to make it even better. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep finding opportunities for joy, and remember, we are teaching tomorrow.